Again, my name is Jim Hardy, and that's not the most important thing about being here together this morning. But I, I am on staff at Calvary Christian Church, but as you can see, I'm not typically there. Calvary asked me to come on staff in a particular role, and that was to be a, a helper to other churches in the area. You know, since we are part of an independent Christian church, we don't have a denominational hierarchy for people to go to to say, hey, we need help. So Calvary said, how about if we become a helper in the area? And so I'm allowed to go in the area to various churches and try to be some kind of a church doctor. And I've had a ball with that. It has been so good to visit with various churches in the area, ask questions, do some assessment, figure some things out, pray hard, change some things. And in some of my adventures, and by the way, I've just got to say, I love these. My question is, why just the children? <laughs> Shouldn't everybody have one of these? I was at a church providing some help for them and preaching one Sunday. It's been a couple of years ago, but I'd gone to the dollar store ahead of time and gotten about 40 you know, balloons, Mylar balloons, and had them inflated. And we were handing those out to everybody as they came in that day. And the instruction was, as we go through the worship service today, when you first feel joy, let your balloon go. And it was just a great picture as we start singing the first song and you start seeing balloons float up in the air. And the funny part was, by the time we got to communion, there were two old grumpy deacons walking to the front, still hanging onto their balloon. <laughs> I don't know if they felt joy at all, but it's real easy to see here today that Revival Church feels joy, and we are really glad to be here with you. As I go to various churches, I really try to, to, to figure out not only, you know, what kind of things aren't going well, but what things are going well. Now, if you're like me and you travel at all, and in this kind of weather, you never know when you're going to see a rainbow, okay? You seen a rainbow lately? As I was going down I-29 some time ago, I saw several cars up ahead of me that were stopped, and I thought, oh, no, there's been an accident. And so, yeah, I drove by really slow, but I saw people with their phones, and they're snapping pictures of this beautiful rainbow off in the east. And I thought, beautiful things like that attract attention, don't they? And it really gave me you know, the thought that shouldn't the church be that? So that when the church is beautiful, it gets people's attention, and they'll stop, and they'll notice, and they may snap a picture. And so I titled my sermon this morning, The Most Beautiful Body in Town. <laughs> now, ladies, I know you're getting your mirrors out, you're doing... But the most beautiful body in town, regardless how beautiful you might be, is the church. And when the church is being the church, people notice. They pull the car over. They stop and take pictures. They notice when the church is being the most beautiful body in town. Now, if you look in the scriptures, you're going to find a lot of different churches. Some churches are not being very beautiful. Have you noticed that? When the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he's not saying, oh, what a beautiful thing you're doing. You guys are just so great and everything's in place. He's going, what are you thinking? 
and you can't be doing this, and you've got to start doing this. And some churches you don't want to model yourself after. But if we go back to the, to the beginning, to the first church in Jerusalem, if you look in Acts chapter 2, you see that about 3,000 people on the first day that Peter preached the first gospel sermon responded and said, yeah, we want to be baptized. So 3,000 people on that day of Pentecost were baptized, and all of a sudden the church went from about 120 people to 3,120 people. And the church continued to grow. The church continued to be beautiful, and people noticed and wanted to be part of it. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be reading from today. If you brought your Bible, if you have your phone and want to look through it, if you have a, uh, any kind of electronic device, I won't be offended if you're looking at your phone in church, if you've got the Scriptures up. Uh, boy, it hasn't been very many years ago. We couldn't say all that, could we? Everything was a book. But if you look in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, we're going to take just a few short chunks and look at the beauty of this church as it was beginning. Again, this was probably the only church in existence at the time. And it wasn't like one huge mega church of 5,000 people getting together in a huge building. It was little pockets of people of 10 or 12 meeting in homes. And maybe they got together at the temple once in a while, but there were so many people involved and so many things happening. But as we get to Acts chapter 4, notice what's going on in these small gatherings of churches. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, let me repeat that. All the believers, now that would be at least 5,000 of them, says they were all one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Anybody here have trouble sharing? Okay, I am one of 10 children. You think I had trouble sharing? Man, if you had a chance to have something of your own, you would hide it if you had to. Sharing isn't something that came easy for me until... I read things like this, and I see that here's what mature Christians do, especially if the body is going to be beautiful, we share. Everybody in the church was of one heart and mind. They, they were together. They were like family. They weren't 5,000 individuals trying to do something together. They had all formed into a family, and it says they shared everything. Now, I've seen a few examples of that in my time. If I go back to when uh, my wife and I first came to the Florence Christian Church here in Omaha, that was in 1989. Anybody here born even in 1989? Okay, a few of us. Uh, but we came there, and there was a couple in the church that when they were in their working years, they made some good money. When they retired, they sold you know, a couple of collectible cars they had. They cashed in some stock. They, and they bought a, a second home up in the Otter Tail area of Minnesota. Anybody familiar with Minnesota? Man, good fishing up there. Yeah, great place to go visit. And they could have kept that to themselves. They could have just said, no, we worked hard for that. We bought that. We're going to keep it nice. We're not sharing. 
but they shared that. If they were going to be gone for a week in the summer, they'd say, hey, Jim and Lori, you want to bring your family up here and spend a week at the lake? They didn't have to ask us twice. And they say, while you're there, if you want to use the kitchen and cook your meals, if you want to use the fire pit at night, if you want to use the boat to fish, if you want to use the boat to ski, if you want anything they had was ours to use for the week. And it wasn't just us. They were sharing it with all kinds of people, relatives, people in the church. They just had this giving attitude. And I know while other people were there, some things got broken. I'm not saying it was us, but I know some things got broken and they weren't upset about it. At least they didn't show it. They'd replace it. They'd do. And it was so cool to see. Now, Jack and June, <laughs> they were fantastic people and they understood this idea of sharing. And that kind of act of sharing impacted the whole church family. Because we get together at fellowship dinners on a Sunday and somebody would start talking about Oh, while we were in Minnesota and we were fishing and blah, 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 and say, you were there too? Yeah, oh yeah, did you, did you get over to the, uh, did you get over to the, there we go, did you get over to this particular lake or did you go to Phelps Mill or did you go, you know, it, wherever it was, and it just pulled us all together. Now that's a good, that's a good example for me. When I was a kid, I kind of saw this thing because I grew up in a small town, Maitland, Missouri. Anybody heard of Maitland, Missouri? Little town of about 250, and that includes cats and dogs. We used to say Maitland was so small you could put both city limit signs on the same post. Okay, small town, everybody knew everybody, you knew what was going on, you actually knew more than what was going on, if you know what I mean. But I'd wake up in the mornings as a kid, and our neighbor Velma would be on the back porch with my mother, and they'd already been to the garden and they'd picked a bushel of green beans and they're on the back porch, Velma's smoking her camel cigarettes, mom's snapping beans with Velma and they're just catching up on the whole town. Now we shared green beans with Velma. Velma shared her car with us because ours was broken. Velma would haul her clothes over to our house and use the washer and dryer because hers was broken. And it was just a little microcosm of what we're reading about in the church here. Nobody really considered their stuff their stuff. It was all, I'm from Missouri. So in Missouri, we've got three different ways of saying y'all, okay? Y'all can mean everybody out here, or it could be possessive. All y'all, I'm sorry. It could be plural, all y'all, or it could be possessive, all y'alls. The scripture is saying that everything they had was all y'alls. <laughs> if I needed a lawnmower and mine was broken, I could go borrow one. If, if I needed a chainsaw after the wind had blown some limbs down, I could go help somebody or they could borrow mine. It was just all y'alls. We learn from Jack and June, and we learn from other people that had this down. And my wife and I don't have it down yet, but we've learned to share things. Now, our house has been a home for at least 20 other people through the years. 
We had an extra bedroom in the basement. Uh, and we would invite other people to just stay with us if they needed it. There was a young man in our youth group that was living in his car because his parents had kicked him out. We said, hey, how about if you just come stay with us at least for a few weeks till you can patch things up with your folks or figure out what you're going to do. Another young lady was trying to save some money so she could rent an apartment. She had to get her deposit. And so he said, well, come save some money. Stay with us for a while. There are several different situations. Some people stayed a few weeks. Some people stayed two and a half years. And so it was sharing not only the house, but it was sharing meals together. It was sharing holidays together. They just got to be part of the family, Christmas gifts, Thanksgiving meals, all those kind of things. And it pulls us together. So as church family, do you think that would look odd to the rest of the world who has the idea that what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine if I can get it? If they see a beautiful body like this that says, no, we love each other and we help each other and we share things. Is that attractive? Is that a beautiful body that I think people would stop and notice, maybe snap some pictures of. Think of yourselves like a rainbow, okay? But then we go on. That's just verse 32. Verse 33 says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. The thing I want us to notice on this is what the apostles were up to. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were teaching people not just about the miracles of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, yeah, all the, everything that went on in Jesus' life. They were telling people, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and has ascended back into heaven. And he told us, I go to prepare a place for you. Who better to testify to this than eyewitnesses? The apostles could teach with a power and with a convincing tone better than anybody else in the church. So should the apostles take time off from teaching so that they could, I don't know, set up for Sunday worship? So that they could sweep the floor after everybody's gone? No, the apostles did what only they could do and delegated to other people to do what they could do. Everybody has some giftedness that God gives us. Everybody's able to do something to serve. The apostles are doing their thing. Actually, if you look over in Acts chapter 6, and you don't have to turn there right now, but in Acts chapter 6, you've got some complaining going on in the church. You see, there's meals on wheels. Uh, there's people in the church that didn't have enough food. The church is helping to take care of them. People are sharing food. But some of the people are saying, how come those people get the white meat and we're getting the dark meat and the chicken? How come, and there's complaining going on. And the apostles said, we could take time out of our teaching and our preaching to take care of this, but no. Here's what we're going to do. And they called seven responsible, spirit-filled people and said, you guys figure this out. We're going to keep doing what we do. 
I thought, what, what a great church model and what a great business model. You see it in business all the time, don't you? You don't always see the CEO cleaning up at the end of the day. The CEO is doing marketing. They're doing planning for the next year. They're doing... But other people are delegated to do a lot of other things. So this church family is working beautifully. Beautiful in the way that they share things. Beautiful in the way that they serve. And they're following direction from the apostles. And it's just working out beautifully. But the third part of this, if you'd look in verses 34 through 37... There were no needy persons among them. Now, does that mean that this was just a church for rich folks? No. He explains it. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. That takes some maturity. Now, it doesn't say that the people that had lands and houses were the only ones giving. They weren't the only generous ones. I think there was expectation for everybody to give of what they had and help. But it came clear to me one day when I was having my grandson, Aiden, help me unload the pickup. Because in the pickup, we had some 10-pound concrete interlocking edgers. Anybody else use those in your yard? Those are great because they're easy to use and they're cheap, okay? And and so they weigh about 10 pounds a piece. And so Aiden, he's like a sixth grader. He can handle those. 10 pounds, you know, into the wheelbarrow. 10 pounds into the wheelbarrow. Then we got to the big landscape block, 40-pound blocks. (laughs) And he is struggling and I just know he's going to drop one on his foot. And so I said, hey, Aiden, you take care of those, and I'll do the heavy lifting. And, man, when I read this passage, I'm going, isn't that the church? Everybody does what they can. Maybe yours is a 10-pound block. Maybe yours is doing. But there are some people that have the capability and the willingness to do some of the heavy lifting when it comes to giving, such as Joseph, verses 36 and 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. And what does Barnabas mean? Do you have it there? Son of encouragement. Isn't that great? What would your nickname be in the church? If the apostles were giving you a nickname, what would, it, would anybody be a, okay, I'm Joe Fixit. Or I'm Betty cookie maker. I'm, it it may not be a good nickname. I don't know. (laughs) But Joseph had a great nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement, because what did he do? He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I love how Barnabas does the heavy lifting. Everybody does something But here, Barnabas is doing the heavy lifting. This just seems like a beautiful church body to me. We could take a study and branch it out all through the Scriptures, all through the book of Acts, and take several different snapshots. But just these three things here, the church body shared with each other, 
the church body served in whatever way they could serve, and the church body was generous and gave what they could and trusted the apostles to distribute the money in whatever way is going to take care of people. So what's it going to take for the church to be the most beautiful body in town? I got to tell you this. It's not completely PC, but the same June that I mentioned earlier, Jack and June, she is a card. And she's the one that uh, I was thinking of when I thought of the title of this uh, sermon. She said, you know, when I was growing up, I was the prettiest girl in the trailer court. What's it going to take for the church to be the most beautiful body in town and throughout the whole world? Those three things we just talked about don't just happen. It happens one at a time. Every person within the church, not just being forgiven of sin, you know anybody who's been forgiven? You don't doubt their salvation, but they have not matured. You wonder if they've been transformed. There's a difference between just being alive and being transformed. It's the difference between a garden full of caterpillars and a garden full of butterflies. Which one do you think would be more beautiful? Could the church be a garden full of butterflies? Can the church be a rainbow? Can the church be a beautiful body that the rest of the world stops and admires and wants to be a part of? Because a beautiful body like the church is attractive. There's a man that I, I like to read. He's got a book out talking about personal evangelism. He's got a very simple method. He says, evangelism is a lot like music and lyrics. How many of us are old enough to remember Dick Clark and American Bandstand? Okay, three, three of us. We, <laughs> on American Bandstand years ago, they used to have some of the, the, most, the most current music, and they would have, oh, high schoolers on there, they would dance to this, and there'd be dance-offs, there'd be, you know, new music they'd play, and they'd always take one song that hadn't been really released to the public yet, it wasn't on the radio, it wasn't being sold, and they'd play it, and, you know, these high schoolers would dance to it, and then they'd interview two or three of them. And they'd say, Paul, step over here, what'd you think of that song? And the answer was almost always the same. Yeah, Dick, I give it about a 95, you know, it's easy to dance to, and I really like, Okay. The thing is, these people dancing to the music, they couldn't tell you any of the words. <laughs> they just liked the beat. They just liked, it was, it was attractive because of the music. And if you really like the music, you're going to want to learn the words later. I think evangelism is a lot like that. When people see the beauty of the church, when people see something different than what they're used to day to day, whether it's the sharing that goes on, not considering anything your own, but sharing with each other, you know, whether it's serving, everybody's saying, I'll chip in, I'll do something, I'll get involved, 
we make it work. It's like an ant farm around here, and everybody's willing to get involved. Or whether it's generosity. If we need something to help somebody, you know, whatever the need is, I'll pitch in. Some of us do some, some of us do heavy lifting. But whatever it is, when the people outside the church see that, and they go, what's up with these people? And they notice, and they snap a picture, and they admire a beautiful body, then we can share words. Father, today, (laughs) we just thank you for saving us, forgiving our sin. You tell us in Scripture that when we'll repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, you'll add the Holy Spirit to us and the Holy Spirit continues to transform us from just being alive to being transformed. So Father, please help us not to get satisfied with just where we are and stay that way from now till it's time to walk into heaven, but help us to keep the mission alive. Help us to understand just how beautiful you want your church and just how much that enhances any kind of message we have to give to the world. They need to see it before they want to hear it. So please help us give them a visual of what heaven is going to be like eventually, and they can see the kingdom of heaven here on earth in our lifetime. We praise you, Father, and ask for your strength. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.